And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And as has been the custom the past few weeks, there are no guys here to start the show. It's just yours truly, Stan the Fan. Brittany Everett is uh, sitting next to me and making sure everything goes smoothly for the next two hours as the bat around hits the air. Um, and hold on, I have to do my thing, which I urge all of you out there that might have joined in to like us and to share us. All right. I'm always confused, though. Do I share it? Share on your timeline. Okay, I guess that's what I'm trying to do. All right, stand the fan here, and we'll be talking baseball for the next two hours with uh, Wimbledon off on the side to my periphery. Um, a match, a semifinal match between Anderson and Isner yesterday went, I think it was six hours, uh, with Anderson prevailing 26 to 24. In the final um, in the final set, uh, the Wimbledon, uh, you don't have a tiebreaker. You you play it out and have to win by two games. So they ended up having three sets of a potential five set match go on after that yesterday between um, Djokovic and Nadal. They're picking up. They picked up this morning after Djokovic led two one at curfew yesterday. And now they are tied. They are tied at uh, six all. When actually Djokovic has gone ahead seven six held serve, and Nadal is serving, and Djokovic is up fifteen fifteen thirty in this. If Djokovic would win this game, he would win the match and face Anderson tomorrow. Anyway, that's a little tennis. Now back to baseball. And we'll remind you, though, that tomorrow, right after Inside Press Box at 10.30, which is um, seen on ABC2, uh, Channel 2, WMAR, at 11 o'clock on Fox, you will see uh, the finals of the World Cup, Croatia versus uh, France. Who you like in that game, Britt? Um, I kind of want Croatia to win because I was rooting for England and they beat England. So. Okay. All right. You're not Croatian, are you? No, I'm not. But you're not French either, are <laughs> I, you? I'm not, no. so. Okay. All right. Anyway, I, I have a feeling France is going to win win the match tomorrow. But, you know, what do I know about soccer? They seemed, each time I saw them in this year's World Cup, they seemed to be a little bit better than whomever they were playing, uh, which is, unfortunately, the saga of the Baltimore Orioles. You know, it's funny. I was leaving the house this morning and of course, I left a bunch of notes home in my uh, packet of uh, box score, uh, uh, score baseball scorecards. I have tons of information about the Machado trade, about the um, about the uh, USA team, the World team, and the Futures game tomorrow. A lot of information. But what I did grab. Was and it's it's just interesting. This past week, I did grab three scorecards. One was from last night, and the Orioles lost five to four to the Texas Rangers. Uh, 
One was from Tuesday when they lost six to five. Excuse me, Tuesday they they beat the Yankees six to five, and the other was on Monday when they beat the Yankees five to four. So the Orioles have played at least three games that I grabbed. Uh, one-run games, and they won two of the three last night. No such luck as the Orioles' um, uh, Alex Cobb and the Rangers' Cole Hamels were in quite a pitcher's duel entering the seventh inning last night when, after retiring the first batter on a ground out, um, Alex Cobb gave up a single to Chirinos, the catcher, promptly with Joey Gallo up next. And Gallo had homered his previous at-bat off of Cobb. Uh, Buck Showalter decided to make a, a pitching move that proved to be dis- somewhat disastrous. He brought in Tanner Scott, the left-hander, to pitch to Joey Gallo. I don't really have a problem, per se, with the pitching move. It's just that I think that Buck Showalter, who most of the time is schooling his opposition manager, got schooled in this one. Tanner Scott could not put away Gallo. He got ahead on the count. It was either 0-2 or 1-2. He lost them, including a 3-2 pitch that he really choked. Um, And that doesn't mean, you know, choked. He just gripped the ball too hard, threw it into the ground on 3-2. Wasn't even close, uh, close enough to entice a swing from Gallo. So now they have runners on first and second. The batter on deck after Gallo was um, a rookie Rule 5 guy, and when you think of Rule 5 guy, think Anthony Santander, you know, this past year. Think uh, Joey Rickard a couple years ago. Um, In other words, a guy who's got to stay up in the major leagues um, for a certain amount of days for the Texas Rangers to truly own him. I think he came out of the Phillies organization. Anyway, manager Jeff Bannister of the um, of the uh, Texas Rangers promptly brought in Ryan Rua. A fair, think think of Rua as the Texas Rangers Nolan Reimold, kind of a number four five outfielder, but with a great deal of power. And um, manager Bannister won the day. Tanner Scott gave up a three run homer to Rua. Uh, now I mentioned that I didn't have a problem per se with Scott coming in to face Gallo. And I certainly wouldn't have minded him facing Tochi. Um, but once the pinch hitter was put in place, Ryan Rua, that's not a matchup I like. Uh, Buck Showalter must have been uh, a little tiny bit asleep at the switch there, not foreseeing that because he had no right-hander. He had no Mike Wright. He had no Miguel Castro, no Brad Brock up to face um and he ended up bringing Givens into the game. It was a key moment in the game, and the three-run homer was struck. The Rangers took a 4-1 to lead. Um, but then Tanner Scott struck out Sh- Sh- uh, Chu, Shin Chu, struck him out swinging. So now there are two outs. The Orioles are behind 4-1. to What does Tanner Scott do? He walks on to Har. Uh, right, a right-handed hitter. He walks, um, not Andohar, Andrus, Elvis. I wrote it down as Andohar, but it's Elvis Andrus, the shortstop for the Texas Rangers. He walks him, and then again, with two outs, Nomar Mazzaro, 
doubles uh, between Jones and the right fielder who was playing right field last night. It was Valencia. Uh, and uh, the fifth run was plated, and that fifth run proved to be the winning margin as the Orioles were uh, resilient enough to bounce back with three runs of their own. The big blow, a two-out, bases-loaded double by Caleb Joseph that um, brought it back to 5-4. to four. Tim Beckham struck out, couldn't get a plate Joseph. The next inning, uh, Jonathan Scope singled, Machado walked. Jones meekly popped out to center field. Trumbo singled to right. Scope got a terrible break off of second base and was properly held up by uh, Bobby Dickerson, but had Scope... And Scope is, listen, he's not a slow base runner. He's just not a very good instinctive base runner. Um, I would say that a Joey Rickard, an Adam Jones, uh, a Tim Beckham probably score on that play. Anyway, he was held at third. Danny Valencia promptly struck out, and uh, Chris Davis popped out meekly to the shortstop. And for all intents and purposes, that's all she wrote as the Orioles went down to defeat. Uh, there was one more inning left in the game, an inning that uh, Michael Givens was absolutely sensational in and wondered where he was perhaps in that seventh inning, um, you know, to couple up with Tanner Scott. There, there had to be and I'm using the the uh, fantasy football term, a handcuff, there had to be somebody out there to pitch to the right-handed hitting Rua uh, once he lost Gallo. So anyway, Orioles lose 5-4. to four. They will go back at it tonight. 7.05 is game time. Uh, starting pitcher for the Rangers is Martin Perez, left-handed pitcher. Orioles will send to the mound uh, Jeffrey Ramirez, the guy we traded uh, with the New York Yankees last year. We gave some international bonus money up that was, I think, intended to go towards signing Shohei Otani. Uh, but uh, Ramirez seems to be a useful pitcher. Uh, tomorrow, because Andrew Kashner's on the disabled list with a strained neck, the uh, plan was to have Jimmy Yacobonis come back in and take his spot <clears throat> on the active roster. Yacobonis, though, showed up at the ballpark yesterday for Norfolk and was under the weather and uh, I think was sent back to the hotel or back to his home. Uh, we're going to wait and see how he feels this morning. I think he was being tested for strep throat. Um, so there's an outside possibility or very real possibility, not outside, that he will not be in condition to be on the mound tomorrow. The options then fall to Mike Wright, Miguel Castro, and drumroll, please, Chris. Very good. Very Thank you. good. Thank you, you were very spontaneous there, Brittany. <laughs> uh, Chris Tillman. Uh, and seriously, I don't know how many listeners or viewers we have right now on Facebook Live or on PressBoxOnline.com. But I'm asking all of you that are in favor of Chris Tillman starting for the Baltimore Orioles tomorrow, uh, raise your hand. Uh, I can't – oh, I don't see any of you. I feel like Miss Nancy from Romper Room. I can see Billy, and I see – you know, I don't see anybody raising their hand for that. The fact that that's even being mentioned right now is very sad. Uh, it really is. It shows uh, – sort of the tatters that uh, the organization are in right now. Um, it's, it's really, listen, 
I, I always seem I have to preface this. Nobody likes Chris Tillman more than I do or liked him. Personally, I still like him very much. This is nothing personal. Uh, Chris Tillman has about as much business starting a major league game tomorrow as Brittany or I. And so I'm not being sexist. Either one of us uh, could do a reasonable job compared to uh, what would most likely happen if Chris Tillman started against a major league team tomorrow. So, again, that, that is really sad news. Um, the Manny Machado rumors. Uh, there's nothing new apparently this morning, right this second, uh, but that changes by the hour, by the half hour, whenever uh, MLB trade rumors gets whiffed, uh, a whiff of a new tweet by Ken Rosenthal or Bob Nightingale or, uh, you know, any of the myriad of top baseball writers. Um, the latest last night was that the Dodgers and the Yankees were in the lead for Machado, and that the third team is now the Philadelphia Phillies, who a couple days ago said that the uh, asking price was a little too rich for them. They had backed out. They are coming back into this with an improved offer. What that improved offer is, I don't know at this time. I will tell you that the teams that have faded are the Arizona Diamondbacks, who I never got a clear-cut idea what they were offering. But I read a very interesting piece yesterday in the in Milwaukee uh, Sentinel, Milwaukee Courier Sentinel, uh, Tom Hodricourt. Is it the Sun? Can you look? You, do you have your computer? I do. Can you look up t- uh, baseball writer Tom Hodricourt? It's the, is it the Milwaukee Sun Sentinel? I think it's the Sun Sentinel. Anyway, he's been the beat writer. Uh, he's been around so long that I used to know him very well when the Brewers were a regular team to come into Baltimore. He wrote a piece basically yesterday that uh, it was sort of saying, hey, you know, the, the last two times that the Milwaukee Brewers thought, thought and acted boldly, uh, they traded for C.C. Sabathia, and then a couple years later, they traded for Zach Granke, and both of those times were last two times. Is it the Milwaukee Sun Sentinel? Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Journal Sentinel. I, I don't know, for some reason, the Sun Sentinels. Isn't the Sun Sentinel a better name than the, the Journal Sounds Sentinel? Sounds like the Baltimore Sun. Yeah, anyway. Uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He's a very good baseball writer, Tom Hodricourt, uh, very well respected. Anyway, he wrote the piece saying that it's time for the Brewers to really act big and think big and bold uh, and that they, they had the room and the wherewithal to make this deal. He then proceeds to sort of lay out the players that they shouldn't trade at the top of that list with somebody, and I, I may be spelling his entire name wrong, Keiston, K-E-I-S-T-O-N, Huria, H-U-R-I-A, who's a apparently a top-notch second-base prospect. He's saying they got to hold on to him, and then he's basically saying that uh, Corbin Burns, the right-handed pitcher, you got to hold on to him. He doesn't even mention Freddie Peralta, or did he? But he's basically, you can't trade either of those guys. And then he says, and then there's this bunch of other guys you can give up to get Manny Machado. Um, And you see why when you really do a close look at those players, which I did last night, and those players include uh, Luis Ortiz. Granted, he's only 22 years of age, Luis Ortiz. He's a right-handed pitcher. 
Um, he came to the Brewers in that trade with the Texas Rangers about three years ago. When he was 19 years old, he came over in the trade that sent Jonathan LaCroix, and um, and that's a trade that sent Lewis Brinson, who was used in the uh, Christian Yelich deal. So the Brewers are pretty good at using very inferior talent to get better players in prospect deals. Um, he's 22 years of age. He came over in that trade in 2016, went to Biloxi, which is the Brewers' double-A team, uh, and he did pretty well there in 2016. He came back to double down at Biloxi in 2017, didn't do nearly as well in his full season at Biloxi in 2017 as he had done in six starts in 2016 at Biloxi. And where do you think he started and has been all season 2018? Biloxi, okay? Not that he had to be rushed to the major leagues. That's the that's the time frame that the Brewers thought he was at this year. Um, and his his season to date is less impressive than it was last year, which was way less impressive than his six starts in 2016 at Biloxi. So you got a pitcher that's showing very little progress. He would be the centerpiece that they would give us for Manny Machado. And then they would throw in among the players is Keon Broxton, a 28-year-old outfielder who in 200 major league games is hitting 223, has an on-base percentage befitting of a Baltimore Oriole, 314 in the major leagues. Then Orlando Arcia, who two years ago, uh, in 2017, excuse me, 2017, actually had a really nice season at the major league level, and I'm wrong. It was 2016. He had 15 home runs, knocked in 53 runs, looked like he had really taken the uh, Milwaukee shortstop job away from somebody whose name escapes me. Uh, but he has really regressed badly, so much so that he's in Colorado Springs right now. Uh, he's 23 years of age, and then they're talking about throwing in um, an outfielder, left-handed hitting outfielder, Brett Phillips, as if he is some sort of uber prospect. Uh, Phillips last year, at uh, two years ago, at Biloxi, uh, hit about 230. He then went the next year. He went to Colorado Springs, batted 305. His one base percentage went from like 320 to 377. His power numbers are, are terrific across the board. And you go, hmm, boy, he really improved in 2017. And then you remember that he played half of his games in Colorado Springs, which is sort of similar. Even the air is less thin there than it is. I mean, it's more thin there than it is in uh, Denver. So um, those numbers are inflated in 2017. But it would be at least impressive if he was putting up big numbers this year. And remember, he's two thousand. He's twenty-four years of age. Brett Phillips this year is hitting two thirty-seven. Has like four homers. So that's what they're offering. Louis, uh, some grouping out of Luis Ortiz, Keon Broxton, Orlando Arcia, and uh, Brett Phillips. That is absolutely insulting. Uh, and that's even given the fact that uh, Manny Machado is a rental. Um, there's no way in the world that the Brewers will end up making a trade with the Orioles unless they get serious and get bold. 
We're going to make our connection momentarily with Rich Dubroff, and we'll see if he knows anything else uh, on a couple of these matters. Let me tell you what else we have on the show today. Once we finish up with, um, once we finish up with um, Rich Dubroff, we'll have an interview we conducted yesterday with. Uh, okay. All right. We will get to Rich in just a moment. All right, Rich Dubroff will join us in just a moment. Um, paperwork foul up there. I did not put Rich's phone number, which we call every week on this week's uh, sheet. So when, once we're finished with Rich Dubroff, we won't have that problem because Mike Farron was a tape-recorded interview. Uh, Mike is the um, uh, part of the Diamondbacks broadcast team, Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast team. He's also a, a talk show host on Sirius XM, and he is the play-by-play voice that will do the game on radio, the Futures game tomorrow at 4 o'clock, which a game that features two Orioles. Uh, one is Australian pitcher um, who pitches at Frederick, Alex Wells, and he is on the world team. And then on the USA team is Ryan Mountcastle, who's uh, really come on of late at Bowie. Joining us right now, and then after, after Mike Farron, will be Jim Gentile, Diamond Jim Gentile, and then Andy Dolich. We'll talk more about that. Joining us, though, right now is the guy who's uh, putting in combat pay this year, uh, covering the Baltimore Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, uh, is Rich Dubroff. Rich, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Stan. How are you? I am terrific. Uh, you and I apparently are better than Jimmy Yacobonis. Any News this morning uh, when you wake up and get any kind of special news on his no, condition? No, no, I haven't seen anything. Uh, you know, for those who don't know it, Jimmy Akabonis, uh came down, uh, uh, reported ill yesterday. The Orioles were uh, planning on starting him tomorrow, and that uh, that plan is uh, is up in the air. But uh, if they don't start him, they, uh, you know, they depending on how they get through tonight's game, they could start uh, Miguel Castro or Mike Wright. Uh, you know, uh, they could, they, you know, because it's the, uh, because it's the, the last game before the break, they could, uh, they could basically pitch a bullpen game uh, if they wanted to, as long as, uh, as long as they got, uh, you know, decent innings tonight. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey Ramirez. All right, and Ramirez pitches against Martin Perez tonight, seven oh five at Camden Yards, and it is the tonight's the Morgan State uh, Jersey night, right? It's a yeah, very actually, cool this state is of a, This is a seven fifteen start. Seven fifteen. That's it's right. It's on Fox. I think it's the only game all year that uh, uh, that people who don't have uh, cable. Can uh, can watch the Orioles. All right, seven. Uh, it's a Fox game. Seven fifteen on Fox. Um, there is there in a in an article by or a piece by Rock Kabatko was even mentioned that the the T word has been mentioned as a possible starter tomorrow. Are we allowed to say Tillman? I mean, is there any possible? Well, no, no. He did. Uh, Buck Showalter did uh, the other day um, mention as, as I. You know, as I tweeted, that Tillman was a po- that he did throw out Tillman as a possibility because 
it was his day to start okay. at uh, at Norfolk. So that that is you know that is a possibility, but I don't think that that's, that's what a they di- want. That's a distant possibility. How has Chris Tillman done? It does not appear that he's done well at any of his rehab starts. No, it doesn't. It appears that you know a lot of his stats stat lines, even in the Carolina League, are familiar. Uh, to people who saw his stat lines earlier this year, and it's not—it's uh, it, not been pretty, and uh, it, it's pretty sad. Yeah, because Chris Tillman is a really good guy. He is one. And, he's one of the good guys, and he's been. It's not like uh, he wasn't an effective pitcher through June of 2016, but since then, the numbers are—they probably would read from that point in time. Till now, as the the worst starting pitcher in baseball, it's not hard well, to it's, say. It's that. been pretty. It's been, it's pretty. It's been pretty gruesome. And yep. you know, the hope was that maybe he could be a decent fifth starter, and that if he did well, you know, if he did well, he'd make himself uh, into an attractive free agent commodity. And yep. obviously, none of that's happened. Yep. Uh, a little bit of uh, not shocking news uh, whatsoever at the end of the night last night, but the Orioles once again optioned Chance Cisco and it brought up Austin Wins. You'd have to say this has been a very disappointing season for Chance Cisco. Yeah, it, it, it has. It, it's interesting, Stan, because I think that, uh, you know, Cisco started out pretty well defensively. Yes, he did. You know, he he uh, threw out nine of his first 18 base runners. Uh, that which is excellent, right? And uh, and that's and what we had been to told, a, Rich. That's what we'd been told for three years that he was really working to get better defensively because he had the hit tool. But uh, it's totally reversed this year. Well, actually, um, you know, I think that 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 may have been an aberration defensively because defensively he's also, you know, struggled a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, since since then, uh, in the ten games that he's played since the Orioles brought him up again, he was three for 30 mm-hmm. and the Orioles lost nine of the 10 games. Yeah. So, uh, it's clear that maybe there's, there's too much pressure on this young man. And, you know, for all the fans who want to see the team rebuild and, you know, go with younger players. Well, this is what happens with younger players. You see, you know, you see issues like this, with Chance Cisco, and then you saw last night with Tanner Scott. Yep. Uh, that that's what happens. You're going to see uh, these very very uneven performances. Now with Cisco, I think again they don't want to keep him down there too long. They kept him down for ten days, and he was hitting well, and then they brought him up. But here, uh, you know, AAA had their. Um, had its uh, all star game break this, this week, past yeah. week, yep. and he wasn't going to play for four. You know, the Orioles aren't going to play for four days. Here's a chance for him to go down and, and get some real, you know, mm-hmm. and get some real at bats. Yep. And you know, if he could stay down, yeah, even for even for ten days or two weeks, and, and then try and uh, try and get going. Well, so that that's what the Orioles want because you know, in spring training, he he hit very very well. Yep. And he started off the season okay. So, uh, but, you know, right now, defensively, uh, a 190, you know, a 195 catcher isn't going to, isn't going to help. I mean, Caleb Joseph has started, uh, hitting a little and he's uh, finally over the Mendoza line. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it's but, it's, yeah, you know, but the you know, offensively, they've gotten they've gotten absolutely nothing, nothing. from the catching this year. Yeah. And uh, it's been interesting that a couple of the trade rumors you hear, one with the Dodgers and I think another one with one of the other teams, have mentioned the Brewers. have mentioned catchers. Yes, which is very inter- which is very interesting uh, because here Cisco was one of their you know was one of their prized prospects. Yep, and uh, you know hit hit well in uh, in AAA, but it is a, a much different game. In the you know in the major leagues, uh, and of course it can't be easy on a catcher when the rest of the team you know a young catcher when the rest of the team is so bad. Yeah, you know if the team as a whole were better, then maybe he would be you know may, he maybe would maybe relax he would a little bit. Too. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's understandable. That's human nature. Uh, let's uh, flip over back to all this trade talk. Uh, yesterday, I spent you know fifteen twenty minutes. Uh, uh, studying the the players that have been mentioned in this Milwaukee Brewers trade, and if Burns or Peralta were were not a part of that trade, there's clearly no way that the Brewers could realistically expect the Orioles to give up. Even though he's a rental of two two plus months, uh, there's no way they're getting Manny Machado for the package of real garbage that they've put out there. Well, I, I don't know a lot about uh, Milwaukee's farm system. I know probably less about the Brewers than uh, certainly about the Phillies because uh, we see the Phillies in spring training and yep. we've seen them, you know, three times in the last uh, ten days or so. Uh, so we know more about you know we know more about the Phillies and the Dodgers' prospects are are, are more hyped. Yep. Uh, but according to you know, according to the stuff that's floating around, the Brewers seem to have fallen back in the pack. Well, it's because and, it's because of the type of caliber of offer they're making. They're they're including a pitcher that they picked up in the in the Lacroix Jeffress trade in 2016. They picked up this guy along with Lewis Brinson, who, by the way, was used in the Christian Yelich trade and is hitting about a buck eighty for the Marlins. But this Luis uh, Ortiz. This is he. He got in six games with Biloxi, and in 2016, once acquired by the Brewers, and he hasn't left Biloxi, and he, and he's gone backwards. Well, it's nice each play. Of it's obviously, he a, loves he uh, loves Biloxi. Obviously, a very nice play. <laughs> he he seems to have fallen in love with it. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And you know, uh, so uh, uh, yeah, I I would think the brew. It was funny because I thought overall the Brewers just kind of sounded. Maybe it's because of my lack of familiarity with them. Yeah. And, you know, they're, I mean, they're a really good team. Yes, they but, are. you know, you don't see them. Yeah. You know, you don't see them on, on Sunday night baseball uh, or, well, on, they're, or on Fox Their lot, general so. manager is a very sharp guy, and that's why they're not – they're not giving up Corbin Burns, apparently. Uh, Freddie Peralta is not part of this deal, and they're trying to do it with this guy Ortiz. Uh, Keon Broxton, Orlando Arcia, and Brett Phillips. And I wouldn't... Well, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, it's, it's funny. I always remember when I was a kid, I guess I was graduate around graduating college, the Mets were forced to trade Tom Seaver. Yep. And, and, and everybody, they tried to... Uh, the Mets tried to hype the prospects they were getting back. They got and there were Steve, four guys who played they in the got major Steve, They got Steve Henderson. They got and, a right-hand pitcher. Norman, uh, 
Doug Flynn and Pat Zachary. Pat Zachary, right, right. And, and, and you know, you kept hearing how great these guys were going to be, and, and Tom Seaver's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Manny Machado most likely will be as well. Um, you know, again, the, the Yankees surprisingly moved into this. I was in total disbelief because I kept saying they don't need him. But I heard Jim Bowden on uh, one of these CBS sports things when you click on CBS sports on your computer, and he made a very good point. He goes, you know, the starting pitching market is so thin at the top and they're not getting DeGrom or Syndergaard. After that, he says, maybe Brian Cashman just decided, let's clobber the opposition and get better defensively at third base. And he says Machado, once acquired by the Yankees, would be their best hitter. And the guy goes, you mean better than Judge? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you mean better than Stanton? And he goes, yeah. He'd be their best hitter. So um, suddenly the light bulb went off in my head, and I said, you know what? That is one way to skin a cat. That is, except they do want to keep keep below the uh, you know right uh, below the luxury tax level. The same thing with the Dodgers. But I think the uh, but also I think that they we're acting kind of preemptively to try and keep them away from the Red Sox. Yeah. Well, I, I think the Phillies make the most sense. I think they probably of all the teams, they are in it for the long haul with Manny Machado and probably. Yeah, I, feel, I think actually the, yeah. the Phillies and the Braves who are kind of in similar situations, although the Braves farm system has been, uh, has been weakened by right. the, the penalties, uh, for international signings, uh, um, met it out against them. Uh, those, those I think, were overall the two teams that made the most sense. So you didn't hear much about uh, about the Braves. Yeah. So the Phillies. I, the overall, f- I think that you know, I'm uh, I'm just going to guess that uh, tomorrow will be the last time you see uh, Machado in an Orioles uniform. Yeah, I would think so. It, it would make. I, I would think that he plays in the All Star game, and then I, I think the or my. My guess is the Orioles are just going to spend, uh, you know, the early part of the All Star break uh, trying to up the ante a little bit, and then, and then and then decide because I think you have to you have to move on this. All right, uh, let's let's talk real quick about a couple of the other players. Uh, last Sunday, I think it was Sunday uh, before the game, Gary Thorne did a, an interesting interview uh, with uh, Adam Jones. And he got down to the nitty-gritty at the end after talking about how tough this season has been and, you know, we're grinding it out and it's horrible for the fans and all this. He said, so before I let you go, last question, if the Orioles come to you in the next 10 days, two weeks, and say, hey, we can trade you to X, uh, are you going to accept the trade? And he looked uh, Gary right in the eye and said, well, the ideal situation for me, and he goes, I control the situation. The ideal situation would be for me to get traded, go win a World Series, and like Chapman, come back to the team. And he really sounded sincere in wanting to come back to the Orioles. And I think the Orioles can probably get a little something for Adam Jones. Well, I think it, it would be. An, I think that it, it would sort of be doing Adam a favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've they've had a great contract with him. This contract is has worked out very, very well for the Orioles. Uh, he's, he continues to play well. I mean, he's not at the level he was three or four years ago, but he's still, um, you know, he's still a productive, uh, a, a productive hitter. Uh, and I think that he gives the Oriole fans, 
someone to, to identify with. And I think that's important because, you know, if they trade Britain and, and Machado and Jones, I mean, who, who's there for the Orioles fans really to identify with right now? Yep. I mean, scope is nice, you know, scope is nice, but he may be in the same situation as Machado a year from now. Uh, certainly not Chris Davis or, or, you know, and Mark Trumbo hasn't really, uh, you know, hasn't really, uh, clicked necessarily with a lot of the fans though. He's, you know, he's performed adequately certainly this year. So I think it would be not a bad thing for the Orioles to have Adam Jones. Um, back and to be uh, honest with you, know, you to finish his career here rich the uh, to be honest with you too it really gives them a two-month look see at uh, cedric mullins to to know and whether or not stewart. yeah and dj stewart right i mean i think it is time you just can't live in fear of putting your top supposed top prospects out on the field and thinking, well, what if they perform like Chance Cisco has? You know, you you've got to. Well, they may. You yeah. know, they may. You know, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with giving them a trial, and then, you know, if they struggle a little bit, sending them back to yep. start. You know, to start the season next year. Speaking, you know, of, I mean, that's what they hoped was going to happen with Austin wins. What, sorry, with Austin, Austin Hayes. Hayes. Yep. But um, what is but the latest? Of, what's the latest? The latest on Austin is Hayes? he's. Uh, uh, He's still having issues with his ankle. You know, he started taking some batting practice Unbelievable. Uh, last week at, at Bowie, and, and he still had some pain. So uh, he was going to get, I believe, an injection and then, uh, and then wait, you know, wait and see. Yeah, it, uh, it, it looked as if he was ready to go, uh, just about ready to go out on a, uh, on a rehab assignment at Aberdeen. Uh, but, uh, but it still uh, it still bugs him. It's just you know it just shows you, Stan. That look at the beginning of the season or going to spring training. The two hottest prospects uh, that the Orioles thought they would get something from this year: Hunter Harvey and, and Austin Hayes. Yeah, it's and been both a loss. Now have, it's been a lost uh, season uh, for both of them, and have have had you know seasons to forget. Uh, getting back to Hunter Harvey for just a second, is there any update on him? Is there any semblance of stability yeah. back yeah, in the shoulder? That, they're hoping that maybe in a couple of weeks okay. he'll be, uh, you know, he'll be back pitching. All they're right. hoping, you know, may, they're hoping maybe, you know, August 1st or so, or, you know, that, that he can certainly, you know, pitch some for, uh, uh, pitch some for, for Bowie, uh, to, to finish out the year. All right. Uh, before we let you go, uh, the other player, we've talked about the key, two, you know, three players. I mean, uh, the two key players, Machado and Jones, the third key guy that could get dealt. And I think the Orioles have been somewhat fortuitous here. And, and let's give kudos to Zach Britton for working as hard as he did to get back as quickly as he could. Now, he did it for his own value, but the Orioles seem to be at the point where they can look teams in the eye and that the other team knows what, what Zach Britton could mean to their uh, World Series uh, hopes. Sure, and I think that the, the ideal thing for the Orioles, Stan, is, is to package Machado and Britton, yep. which some teams like the Phillies apparently uh, have talked about. Yep. I think the Dodgers, too. And I think that Britton would not be adverse to going to a, a situation let's say, with the Dodgers where he was the setup man sure. for, for Kenley Jansen. And then 
Uh, and then in free agency, he can sign with a team where he'd be the primary closer. But the Phillies would be, uh, I think, a place where he, uh, you know, where where he would fit not where he would fit nicely too. Yeah. I think any team would love to have Zach Britton, who's just a terrific guy. And, uh, he's uh, a stand up, and, and and you yeah. know, and, and not an excuse maker nope. when, when things haven't gone well. Uh, just a delight to have around. Yeah, no question about it. You know, it's interesting too. Uh, we can we can talk about the the different philosophies of management and what so on and so forth. The bottom line is a lot of us think that these deals should have probably been made last year, but the fact that they're being made now is the reality. And if you can package them together and really get a better quality of a couple players rather than get four or five mediocre guys, I'd much rather have two guys with really big upsides to come out of that deal than, you know, one pretty good guy and three scrubinos, you know. Well, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, whatever whatever deals are made, are, are you're not going to be able to really measure their yep. effectiveness, I think, until 2020 or 2021. No question about it. All right, Rich, we really appreciate the, uh, the hard work. Uh, enjoy the game tonight and tomorrow, and uh, I guess you'll be over at the All-Star game, correct? Yes, I will. Stan, always a, ple- always a pleasure talking. All right, thank you, my friend. All right, there you have it. Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. When we get back... Uh, we're going to be joined, and I forget if we have to. Do I have to intro? Did you listen to the beginning of this interview? Do uh, I have to I intro? I don't remember, but go All ahead, right. give it an intro. All right. Well, we will give it an intro when we get back. But right now, let me tell you, join the Ironbirds for Maryland Sports Weekend, July 20th, 21st, and 22nd. That's right. On Friday, July 20th, the club will recognize baseball's Ironman hometown hero, Cal Ripken Jr., On Saturday, July 21st, members of the 1983 World Championship team will be in Aberdeen along with the World Series trophy. The attention flips to football on Sunday, July 22nd, when the Super Bowl trophy Poe and Ravens cheerleaders travel up to I-95 to the ballpark. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit ironbirdsbaseball.com. Let's tell you a little bit about one of my favorite places, and that's Big Bats. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar. Located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. Stevensville, Maryland, by the way, if you're leaving from Baltimore, Catonsville, Arbutus, uh, Essex, wherever you're leaving, and you come down 695 and you get on to um, 50, 97, and then 50, you go across the Bay Bridge. It is the first exit after the Bay Bridge, uh, heading down to Ocean City, Stevensville, come up to the stop sign, make a left, about a quarter of a mile down, you'll find a terrific place to watch sports, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, the Nats, the All-Star Game, uh, the World Cup tomorrow morning. It's got some of the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. Big Bats, tell them Stan the Fan sent you. 
Red, white, and blue savings continue on over 1,300 new and used Toyotas and Chevrolets at Jerry's Auto Group with savings up to $15,000. And 0% financing is still available on many new models. Plus, every new Chevy and Toyota from Jerry's comes with free maintenance for four years or 50,000 miles. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road, Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road, and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing with approved credit, savings vary by model. Sale ends July 31st. Join the Ironbirds for Maryland Sports Weekend July 20th through 22nd. On Friday the 20th, the club will recognize baseball's Ironman, hometown hero Cal Ripken Jr. Saturday, July 21st, members of the 1983 World Championship team will be in Aberdeen along with the World Series trophy. The attention flips to football on Sunday, July 22nd when the Super Bowl trophy, Poe, and Ravens cheerleaders travel up I-95 to the ballpark. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit ironbirdsbaseball.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Rory's Story Cubes is the original that started the Story Cube movement and inspired creativity and storytelling across the globe. And they come with every Chick-fil-A kids meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. Chick-fil-A kids meals are all around $5, including the kids' chicken strips, kids' nuggets, and kids' grilled nuggets. Text the family right now and announce that it's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square tonight. That's at 5198 Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham. Tell them that Glenn and Kyle said hi. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for... For 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And welcome back into uh, the batter round. Stan the Fan here. Again, Craig Heist out on assignment, uh, working the Nats show on uh, Masson Sports. Um, Yesterday, Glenn Clark and I were able to catch up uh, uh, the interview I conducted, but Glenn Clark helped me set it up with good friend Mike Farron of the Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast team. He's also uh, an XM, serious XM uh, talk show host uh, extraordinaire, and he will be behind the mic tomorrow on Sirius XM at 4 o'clock 
for the play-by-play of the Futures game uh, that will be taking place at D.C. tomorrow at Nats Park. It features the World All-Stars against the USA team. Here's Mike Farron. And joining us right now is a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast team, and also you hear him all the time on Sirius XM. He is Mike Farron. Mike, how are you? I'm great, Stan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, and I know you're great because you're getting to do one of your favorite things, and that's the broadcast Sunday's Futures game. Um, Tell us a little bit about the preparation that goes into that game. Um, Yeah, it's... uh... (laughs) <laughs> it's gotten easier for me a little bit over the years because I actually do a fair amount of kind of major prospect-based events. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate in most years to be able to call the Perfect Game All-American Classic and also, you know, I do a lot of stuff for the Fall League and the Fall Stars game. And so there tends to be a fair amount of overlap um, with players that I've either seen as amateurs or that I've seen, you know, in the Fall League. Um, that show up in the game. So there's usually about 20% off the top that I've got a good idea on. And then the rest of it is calling friends and sources and trying to get background stories and uh, reading. The Baseball America still does a really good job of kind of chronicling the background of of many, many players. And so it's, um, you know, it's been, I'd say I probably spend about 10 to 15 hours just preparing for the one three-hour broadcast. But in the end, I think it's worth it. And uh, for me, getting a chance to see those guys who are on the rise is always a lot of fun. Now, I've never had to do that type of preparation, but can can you over-prep for something like that and be so obsessed with getting facts about these players that sometimes you might not even pay attention to what you're seeing on the field? Or that's not a problem for you? Uh, for me, it's not a problem. I mean, I try and... Uh, the, the action on the field is the most important thing, and especially in an event like that, you're yep. basically trying to give um, scouting reports You know, on what you're seeing. So um, you want to be able to add a little bit of story. I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, I think the, you can fall into the trap of being buried into your notes, Yep. Um, but that's why you put your notes up in the background, and then you, you, know, you try and trust the fact that you've got something in the back of your mind that either you can go and reference your sheet of paper or... Um, or that you can bring it back from, from regular recall. So for me, I don't think it's really an issue because my focus is on the field, on the game, and describing what's happening with the players. All right, and the game does take place Sunday afternoon. starts at 4 o'clock, but XM has got you covered with a special edition of uh, Grant Paulson's Minors and Majors at 2 o'clock, then the play-by-play with Mike Farron and our old friend Jim Duquette at 4, and then before, during, and after Jim Bowden, and Grant Paulson live from the world and U.S. dugouts. Who are a couple players, and we can't go through, you know, all thir- uh, you know, th- 40 players, but who are a couple players that you're really interested in seeing from what you've heard about them, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably the best prospect in this game, and he's the um, um, you know top prospect in the San Diego Padres organization. I actually got him in a trade for James Shields a couple of years ago, back when he was still playing in the complexes. Um, you know, I got him from the White Sox, but he's a power hitting shortstop with a chance to stay at the position. Um, you know he'll probably hit for a decent average as well. Um, there's some swing and miss in his game currently, but most of it is approach based. He's got great hand eye coordination, from what I understand, and I haven't had a chance to see him really play in person. So he's number one on the list of players that I'm I'm really excited to see. Uh, the other guys that show up, Jesus Sanchez uh, probably gets a little less recognition with the 
uh, Tampa Bay Rays. But the reports I've gotten on him from scouts have been that he's got really special basketball skills and hand-eye coordination and um, has a chance to be a really impactful offensive player, um, probably as a left fielder down the line, but that he's got a chance to really hit for average and to hit for a fair amount of power. So I would put those two guys as the two position players that are kind of at the top of the list for me to see. And then from the pitching side, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see um, Hunter Green in person. You know, that was one of the, the All-American classics I missed was the year that he was a, a, a high school senior. And uh, he's the second pick in the draft last year. He's pitching in, in Dayton. My understanding is that he's gotten better and better as the year's gone on. He got up to a real rough start. But even as a high schooler, he was touching 100 with regularity. And uh, in a short event like this, he might touch 102. Um, and he at times shows a really good slider and has a chance to be, although he's a high-risk guy, he has a chance to be a very, very good starting pitcher. He, he would be at the top of the list on the pitchers. Him and, and Mitch Keller from Pittsburgh, who comes in for completely different reasons. He's probably the most polished of the pitchers in the game um, and has a chance to be an impact frontline starting pitcher with command control and a, and a really good fastball-curveball combination. Now, if I remember correctly, Vlad Guerrero Jr. played last year. Is there a mm-hmm. rule that prohibits guys from coming back-to-back years in the, in the Futures game? No, he's hurt. I mean, that's okay. the reason. He's missed the last month because of a knee issue. And I so, thought he'd come um, back. I, okay, I apologize. I remember he was hurt. I thought I'd heard he was back. Okay. Yeah. He's going to play He's going to play in the GCL today, actually, in his first rehab games. So there are three, well, there's probably more than three, but there are some pretty prominent prospects that aren't in the game um, for a variety of reasons. You know, the White Sox, for some reason, didn't want to send Eloy Jimenez. They sent Luis Masabe. Instead, he's a good prospect, but, but you know, they also have um, Luis Robert, um, who's battled some thumb injuries this year and has lost a significant amount of time, who, you know, has a chance to be a really impactful player. Uh, Nick Senzel, who's the composition player prospect with the Reds, is not in the game because he's out for the season after having surgery. Um, Victor Robles from the Nationals probably would be in the game if he'd still, you know, he might actually be in the big leagues at this point, but if he, nice. if he were uh, still in the minors, he would probably be in this game. Uh, but he has missed, you know, uh, three months almost with an elbow issue um, after making a diving catch in Syracuse, and he's just starting to play rehab games. So there are a number of premium prospects that are unavailable because of injury this year, yep. and that's why some of the sexier names aren't a part of the game. Hey, uh, let me segue back into the major leagues for a minute. Uh and one of the players that clearly is not in the futures game because his future is now is this uh, player for the Washington Nationals, uh, Soho, uh, the outfielder. H- how impressed are you with him? I've seen him in about four games against the Orioles. This guy seems as composed a 19-year-old hitter as I've ever seen at the big league level. I mean, and this isn't being hyperbolic. I mean, what he's done is pretty historic for a 19-year-old yeah. to this point in his career. You know, it's slugging you know, around 600, and the fact that he's, you know, he's got a, such a good command of the strike zone that he's, you know, walking about as much as he strikes out, um, it, it's been unbelievable. You know, I think there are a lot of people that are like, well, why was he so low on lists? You know, why, why was he not rated more highly publicly? And I think a big reason why is because he battled injuries. He hadn't really played a full season before this year. And he made the jump from, you know, from the, Carolina League to the big leagues in one year. I mean, he barely had a stop in Harrisburg before he got up. It's, he's a really remarkable offensive player. He's going to be a solid defender in left field. 
um, over the course of his career. And we're really blessed to see three, you know, great young talents debut this year between, um, between Labor Torres and, and him and Ronald Acuna with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. I mean, th- those three are really, really special talents. And it's very difficult to get, uh, scouts to try and agree on which ones, uh, they would prefer out of that list. We're talking with Mike Farron of XM Radio, also part of the Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast team. And Mike, great time to have you with the trade deadline just two and a half weeks away. Uh, Tell us what you're hearing that your team, the Diamondbacks that you work with, uh, where they are uh, vis-a-vis pitching prospect, uh, acquiring pitching, or are they really in on Manny Machado? Well, they've been involved on the Machado talks, um, you know, since the winter. They have been the team that have been most consistently involved. I don't think in the end that they're going to end up with Machado. Uh, I think that's a bigger, um, you know, that, that they're probably looking at someplace place else. Um, and, yeah, I think they're probably going to end up with better offers, at least in terms of the depth of prospects from, um, say, Milwaukee or Los Angeles or even the Yankees. So I, I don't know that that's necessarily the, the fit. Um, I don't think that they're just going to upgrade offense to upgrade offense. I think they feel better about where their offense is over the last uh, month and a half. Uh, I think Machado would have been a, kind of a special case. So I expect them to focus on pitching. You know, if they buy it all at the deadline, my guess is that they're they're almost certainly going to add a reliever. Um, and then beyond that, I would not be surprised if they were kicking the tires a little bit on some of the starting pitching that's available, specifically if it was stuff that was controllable. Uh, Zach Britton, is he somebody you think they'd be interested in, or you don't see a fit personnel-wise? Yeah, no, I think personnel-wise, I think that would make sense. I think it's just going to be a question of whether or not they have the players to be able to pry him away. I think you know there there's a need in the bullpen for them to add depth. They have the best ERA um, in the National League among their relievers, um, but you know, it's just a matter of you know, whether or not that they feel that that having somebody who basically finishes games is a priority over, you know, finding somebody who, you know, can help to fill out the depth of the bullpen. I mean, Boxberger's done a pretty solid job in the ninth inning. Um, they do have Archie Bradley too, who's probably their best overall reliever. So do you want to compliment him with another guy who's a multiple inning guy, you know, who's closer to say like a Seth Lugo, or are you looking more for a Yuri Familia, Zach Britton type at the end of games? I mean, I think it certainly helps because they've had so many talks with the Orioles that, that the Orioles have an idea of, you know, who yeah. their system is and who the players are they're willing to move, that maybe it makes it easier to be able to acquire somebody like Britain in a trade. Um, but I do think that there's, you know, there are going to be plenty of options that are out there. And I think that their farm system is thin enough and they're cognizant of that, that they know that they don't want to push too many chips in um, just to acquire you know, what will amount to being, you know, 15 innings at best of a reliever, um, you know, it, it, just in case the team doesn't you know, ends up in a wild card game and loses, yeah. um, you know, they're kind of in that position now where they're in such a dogfight with Los Angeles that I'm not sure that that's where the most value gets added to give them the chance to get to the playoffs. Last year, your team, the Diamondbacks, picked up J.D. Martinez. I think it was on about the 18th or 20th of July. Is that trade that they made with the Tigers for three prospect infielders one of them very young, and the other two closer to the big leagues. Lugo, uh, of course, is playing, I think, in this uh, Futures game. Is that a roadmap for the trade, ultimately, that the Orioles will be able to make for Machado? Or do you think that the Orioles have been fortuitous that so many teams are in the hunt 
that uh, that a difference maker such as Machado might bring a bigger haul this year than Martinez? I mean, I don't think it's going to make. I think it will bring a bigger haul, but I don't think it's going to bring a significantly bigger haul. I mean, you're not going to end up with one of the top ten prospects in baseball. You you know, you're probably looking at you know somebody who headlines that being in that you know kind of thirty five to sixty range um, as the headliner. Uh, that would be my guess. I mean, just based on uh, rental bats, just don't tend to get you a huge return at the deadline. I think that they probably look more at depth. I think the prospect return changes on whether or not they're getting major league talent that's back in return. I mean, it it depends on who they would be getting in in something like that. Like if they were to get an outfielder from the Dodgers, um, you know, that would probably change the prospect package if they were to get, you know, say, let's say, and I I doubt this guy would be in it, but let's say Milwaukee was like, you know what, we would trade your Arcea. Um, You know, then the second piece is probably more similar in the lower level to dream on than it would be, or a second and third piece than it would be somebody who's you know, high up on a prospect list. So I think it's, as always, it's need-based on what the Orioles yep. need, and the Orioles have a lot of needs. I sure you do. Know, I know that they've, there's been talk of them fo- focusing on starting pitching, but the starting pitching is pretty well tied up for the next several years, for better or for worse. Um, so is it really that they want pitching depth in the organization, or are they trying to get the best collection of players that they can get? And what's their goal? Is it to try and make another run at competitiveness in 2019, or is it to... Uh, you know, tear this down to the studs and rebuild. And I certainly haven't gotten the indication that they're looking to tear it all the way down. All right. He is Mike Farron. Mike, one last thing real quick, 30 seconds or so. Adam Jones, do you think he gets moved a la Chapman a couple of years ago and then re-signs with the Orioles? It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be up to Adam. I know he owns a house in Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, he obviously can control wherever he goes because he's a tenant. He's got ten years of service time and, and at least five consecutive with the same team. Um, so that's a possibility. I mean, I think it. I think it also depends on where um, the Orioles are looking to go long term. I mean, they, they do have you know a couple of good outfield prospects that are close to the big leagues and Mullins and Hayes. Um, you know, are they ready to turn those over? Are those guys that they have a chance to be average or better regulars? You know, all those things I think are reasonable questions to ask when, with regards to Adam Jones' long-term, um, long-term fit in Baltimore. Um, obviously, he's meant a lot to the community and to the organization, and, and I, I'm a big Adam Jones fan. I think it'd be great to have him back, but um, it's really hard to answer those questions, especially since he controls so much of where he can end up. Yeah, he referenced it last week in an interview with Gary Thorne. He said that would be his ideal situation, and he was he he was pretty good about it. He said he'd really like to get back to Baltimore. Mike Farron, yeah, I think they will. I think they will consider Adam's feelings in all of that. Yeah, I agree. you know too in terms of where they find a spot for him as well. Again, uh, Sunday afternoon, two o'clock. Grant Paulson, minors and majors special. Edition. Edition, then 4 o'clock, the play-by-play, Mike Farron and Jim Duquette of the Futures game out of Washington, D.C. on Sirius XM Radio. Mike, can't thank you enough for your time. No problem. Anytime, Stan. Great to catch up. All right. Take care. All right, and that was Mike Farron of uh, XM Sirius XM Radio. <clears throat> and again, he will have the play-by-play call tomorrow. And again, I'll plug... Uh, Grant Paulson, a special edition of Minors and Majors at 2 o'clock tomorrow. Then the play-by-play with um, Mike Farron and Jim Duquette. And then all during the game, before, during, and after, uh, Jim Bowden and Grant Paulson will have interviews from the World Team Dugout and the USA Team Dugout. All right, so uh, entertaining. That game will most likely be, I believe it's on 
ESPN, but you know, I'm not sure where where you can catch it on TV. So make a point of catching it on the on the radio uh, on Sirius XM radio. All right. Uh, last week, uh, Glenn Clark and I did something on Next Week Today, a feature that we do each week, sort of a point-counterpoint. And this one wasn't so much point-counterpoint as it was asking the question about, in light of the fact that LeBron James was lost again to the Cleveland uh, faithful, the basketball faithful, who was the one player that we kind of never got over uh, losing on our team? And for me, the answer was pretty simple, and he joins us right now. He is the uh, former left-handed slugging first baseman of the Baltimore Orioles. That's Jim Gentile. How are you, Diamond? I'm fine, Stan. How are you, buddy? Good. How are things in uh, in and around Oklahoma City these days? Oh, it's beautiful. It's 94 degrees today. Oh, God. Hey, i got to ask you, did you end your career in Oklahoma City? Is that how you got there? No, no, I um, ended my career uh, in uh, San Diego. I went out there as a player coach, okay. 66, I mean, 67, 68. And, uh, but before, just before I went out to San Diego, I was playing with Houston. And I, coming out of Chicago, I happened to bump into a beautiful hostess on Braniff <laughs> Airlines. And we started talking, and, uh, well, She's from Oklahoma, and we have now been married 50 years. Wow. Is she still beautiful, and is she still with Braniff Airlines? No, no, no. She's <laughs> retired. She's I'm enjoying life now. I'm <laughs> kidding. I don't think Braniff Airlines has been around <laughs> no, since the mid-70s. But boy, back then, they wore the uniforms and yep. the boots and yep. really something. Yeah. Well, you must have been a pretty handsome couple because I, one of the things that, that me – I had lost my dad in 1958, and, you know, a young kid at that age of six years old, you're looking for father figures, and you were this dashing, handsome, slugging first baseman. You became kind of a father figure to me um, oh. here in Baltimore. Um, you pl- you played a long time. You got stuck before free agency and the um, reserve clause and all that stuff. You got stuck with the Brooklyn Dodgers for an awfully long time, didn't you? Yeah, seven years. And that was because Gil Hodges had first base kind of on lockdown, didn't he, in Brooklyn? Right. I, I signed out of high school in San Francisco, 1952, and uh, – they told me, well, it would take you about four years. It usually takes four years to get a shot in the big leagues. Because, you know, remember back then we had D, C, B, A, double A, triple A. Yeah. And uh, so it was fine. Well, they started me off in A ball, uh, but told me I'd only be there 29 days, and then they'd ship me down to, like, Class C. Well, I stayed there all year, led the league in home runs, and hit 270 and drove in 100 runs. The next year, I started in Mobile, and I was leading the league in home runs after 20-some-odd games. But then when the cutdowns came, uh, Wojciech, the manager, said, well, I- I'm going gonna- I'm to take Norm Larker back, so you got to go back to Pueblo. So I spent two and A, two and double A, and three and triple A before I got a shot. Now, your shot, I see that you played briefly with Brooklyn in 1957, and then you got 34 at-bats and 58 with the Dodgers. Were those call-ups due to injury or? Uh, no, end of the season, Stan. End of the season, okay. Yeah, yeah they brought me up in 57, and uh, 
I was sitting in my, in the, my locker room, and P.B. Reese came up and said, Hey, Diamond, you're playing today. I said, No, I just finished hitting with the Scrovinis. Right. And he said, No, 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 you're gonna you're hitting fifth. Or, and they were playing the Phillies, Robin Roberts. Right. And he was pitching. And uh, when I came up the second time up, I got safe on an air my first time. I came up my second time. It was one-to-one. And uh, 3-2 pitch, I hit the facing the upper deck in Ebbets Field for my first home run. I saw and, that. You got you got one hit. You went one for seven in that first uh, little stint in the major leagues, and the one hit was a, a home run. Do you well, remember that's what who, I mean. I, do you remember I go who up you, there, and all I got was 36 times at bat. Right. And they started, when I went them over to Baltimore at a look-see, they said I was a cast-off. 36 times in bat in seven years? Right. Wait a minute. And I hit <laughs> over 208 home runs in the minors. Do you remember who you hit that first home run off of in the major leagues? Yeah, Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts. Boy, he gave and up. He came, remember he came over to Baltimore? Sure. And somebody had made a uh, uh, painting of him, and he gave it to me, and he put down below, he put, so you won't forget who you hit your first home run off of. That's funny, because Robin Roberts was known for giving up a lot of home runs, but like Jim Palmer, a lot of solo home runs. Right. He yeah. didn't walk. He didn't want to walk yet. And that's the thing I remembered. I was three and two as the pitch, and I I stepped out of the box, and I'm thinking, and I remember Snyder and him saying he won't walk if he can help it. So I just said I'm going. I'm looking fastball, come hella high water. If he throws me a curve, I'll go back to the dugout. <laughs> that's something else. So you know, it's funny. I always I knew you played for the Dodgers organization. I knew you were there a long time. But until today, I haven't really thought about placing you in the context. You played probably in the minor leagues with Roy Campanella, didn't you? Yeah. And I played, uh, well, the one year before, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jackie Robinson, he he retired just as I came up. I went to Japan with the, the Orioles. I mean, pardon me, Brooklyn. Right. We, 56, we went over there. And I led the team in everything. Buzzy Bavese said, the vice president says, now stay in shape. We're going to move Hodges to third right. and g- give you a good shot at first base. That never happened. That never happened. So no, I'm so sure Hodges said, forget it. I'm the best, I'm first, the best base. first baseman around. Yeah, Right. I'm not going over to third base. Right. <laughs> so now you, now you get traded. You get dealt to the Orioles, right? Uh, yes. And your first manager is Paul Richards? Yes. Uh, what did he tell you the first year there in spring training? Well, I came to spring training, but and I came on what you call a look see thirty uh-huh. days. Yep. If I didn't do, if Richards didn't like what he saw in spring training, or didn't want to take me to Baltimore, he just returned me to to the Dodgers and twenty five thousand. So I got there, and there was Walt Dropo, Bobby Boyd, John Powers, Boog Powell, and I over there at first base. Wow, crowded field, crowded yeah, field. Yeah, well, I I, I wasn't work at that time. Boog was only eighteen, just starting out. Mm-hmm. I figured a couple of years. You knew he, you could tell he was going to be a good for a good ball player. I mean, you know, back then he was six four five. Yeah, he weighed about two ten or two twenty. Mm. You know, but I mean, he just he just had good hands. So I said, well, maybe two, three years, but there was Dropo who was rookie of the year in what? 59 or 58. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, John Powers played for Columbus, he was, but he was more of an outfielder, but Bobby Boyd was a fine first baseman yep. and a th- good hitter. But the problem was he didn't drive in any runs. And Richards said he wanted a power hitter. 
And you were you fit that bill pretty good. Well, I did that spring training. Everything I was another Dick Stewart, old Iron Hands. Every time you threw me a ball, I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the last day of spring training, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Paul it Richards. Like, yeah, I thought I'm not going to make the team. You know, and right. I, I go there, and there's a thing saying go see Paul. And I walked in the office to him, and he just looked at me, and says, "Son, you can't be as bad as you look." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and I said, well, Paul, I'm not much of a sprint. He said, you've hit 208 home runs down there in the minors. Right. And you can't get one out of the infield here. He said, I'm going to give you, you only got 36 times at bat in almost three years with the Dodgers. I'm going to give you 150 or more the first 27 days. If you hit, you'll yeah. stay. If not, I'm sending you back to the Dodgers. That's the Best I can do for you. So that thirty day look see was the was not just spring training; it included the thir- first thirty yes, days yes. of the big league season. Right. Yeah. How, how how did that that talk with Paul Richards? It seems like it must have somehow taken some pressure off of you. Well, it did because I said to myself, "I got twenty seven days or twenty eight, and he told me I was going to play against right handers, and Dropa was going to play against left handers. So, you know, you had to, yep. uh, and I just said to myself, I, I knew that once the, I don't know what it was when I played spring training, most of the time at the beginning of spring training, you faced the same guys you p- faced in triple a, yep. you know, so you weren't really facing the, uh, the whitey Fords and the Jim Bunnings. You were facing other, the same guys you faced before. So I just couldn't get myself mentally prepared for it because it's the same guys. But then once the bell rang, uh, now I'm going to face the good guys, you know, Romero, you know, uh, Pasquale and all those guys. And uh, I just started to hit. I was, everything started to fall into place. Now, not only did you hit in 1960, you showed yourself to be a pretty fancy guy with the glove at first base. One of the things I remember is you could start the 363 double play with anybody and the stretch you had. I've still never seen anybody else stretch the way Jim Gentile stretched. I, a lot of times I watch the games and these guys make the play at first base so close. Yep. Because they, they just stand there and catch it. And the guy might be one one stride away from first. Where, not that you have to go out and do the splits like I did once in a while, but at least reach out. Yep. Uh, the, the one first baseman that does it a lot is, is uh, Belt from San Francisco. He at least reaches out for the ball, which gives – you know, it's, him a step and a half to two steps. It's a it's a big difference on all these close plays. You know, it sure no is. question about it. Uh, Jim, the uh, the game I remember most, and I'm guessing it was in '61. No, may, maybe a pinch later. What was the the game in Minnesota? The back to back Grand Slam home runs. Do you remember that? And oh yeah. And who did? Yeah. You, and, and was it back to back innings? Or was it in the same yeah, first inning? and second inning? Okay, yes. who'd you yeah. hit him off of? Who'd you hit uh, him? the first one? Uh, Pete Ramos. Okay, I remember and Pedro it, Ramos. Sure. Yeah, and the second one was off Paul Gill, the running back from Minnesota. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, the thing is, is uh, we got to a, a zero and two pitch on on me. Uh, Ramos did, and he threw me a high fastball, and I, I just happened to get up and hit it out over the center field fence. So now the next inning, the same three guys got on because the pitcher made, uh, Ramos made an error. 
and and I brought in Gill, and the very first pitch he threw me, I hit over the right field fence. And those were both at the Metropolitan Stadium yes. there in Minnesota. Yeah. Now I don't know if you know this. This is here's a trivia question. Yeah. In '60, I hit a grand slam off Dick Hall. Okay. And in I hit five in '61. The I, same pitcher was the winning pitcher all six times. You're kidding me. And who no. was who would that have been? Milt? Estrada. Estrada. Chuck Estrada. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Boy, he had some great stuff, didn't he? Oh, boy. we I tell you, it was Steve Barber and him and uh, Jerry Pappas, Walker. Jerry Walker. Jerry Walker. And you had Fat Jack Fisher. Jack I mean, we Fisher. had some good young pitchers. If the Orioles had them today, they might be winning. They. <laughs> <laughs> I think they could come out, the ones that are still alive could come out and pitch better than some of what we've seen. We're talking. Uh, well, the guys are just having one of those years. Yeah. That, uh, you know, but uh, the thing is, is uh, they don't throw curveballs anymore. And when, they, you, when, the, when the hitters face a guy that has a pretty good curve, yep. they look terrible. Yeah. You, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, I, you see guys swinging pitches to bounce on the plate because they're looking at good fastball to hit it. Everybody wants to hit the home runs now because the ball's so live. Now, it's interesting you say that because I think tend to think of you as sort of an all-or-nothing hitter, but I went over the numbers this morning. I'm astounded you had an on-base percentage of nearly 370 for your career, including a couple seasons over 400, and your walks to strikeouts over a career uh, the length of yours, I think you walked – wait a minute. I think you walked – 475, bear with me, 415 is the walks, hold on, yep, and five, 545 strikeouts. That's nothing, I mean, in terms of the differential between strikeouts and walks. I mean, that's a good differential. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, uh, I did swing kind of hard, but... Uh... Well, but you, just one of the, but you got to remember, though, Stan. Back when I played, no one we didn't have hitting coaches. There weren't hitting coaches. We didn't have hitting coaches. All we had was a bullpen coach with with Harry Bikin, right? A first base coach, and maybe a, a third base coach, and that was it. There was nobody there that talked hitting. And all the years I played, I never had anybody talk to me about hitting except Al Vincent. Well, that is really fascinating. I, Jim, I, you know, I'm a pretty big baseball fan. I never yeah. knew that back in those days. No, I mean, unless somebody, maybe, you know, a lot of times when you weren't hitting, you might ask the guy hitting behind you, whether yeah. it was Brooks or Tran, hey, am I pulling my head off? Right. You know, and they go, well, no, it looked like you were looking at the pitch. But uh, in 1956, I was on the Fort Worth, uh, 55, I was on the Fort Worth roster. And Al Vincent didn't like the way I swung the bat, come right. around and hit my back once in yep, a while. Yep. So he took me to the batting cages and sat me on the bat. I had to sit on a bat and just swing. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he was working the uh, batting machine and swing and stop at the top, swing and stop. So we did that all lunch hour. Now we go play a game. I guess I don't remember who we played that spring training. And the first time up, my first swing, I came all the way around, hit my back. Right. But I ended up getting two hits, so I didn't think any of it. So the next day, I go down to the clubhouse, and I go into the Fort Worth part of the clubhouse, and my stuff is gone. I go, I ask the clubhouse guy, where's my uniform, my spike? Right. Oh, you got traded to Mobile. 
Al Vincent got rid of me. He didn't like the way I swung. He got rid of me. It's Sent me over to double-A Mobile. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're talking with Jim Gentile. Jim, uh, the season of 1961 was one for the record books. A lot of people. Um, we got to put the con- proper context in there. It was the first year of the expansion uh, where the Washington Senators and the – who else came into being? In Minnesota, wasn't Minnesota, L.A., L.A. L.A., no, the Angels. L.A., was it? Yep, it was L.A. Angels yeah. and the um, and the Washington Senators came back in. Right. So there were two new expansion teams that did water down the pitching. There's no question about it. But what a season you had. Okay, uh, okay. I got a question for you. Yes. You know the six guys that hit over 40 home runs? In that season? Yeah. Well, it was it was you. Maris, Mantle, Mantle you. Calavito, Cash, myself. Yep. And Killebrew. All right. Okay. Those are the six guys that hit 40 and above. All right. How all, how many guys hit 30? Gosh, I, uh, I'm guessing the way you're asking that, maybe two. How many should have been hitting 30 if, if it was so easy to hit home runs it back then? should have been like 20, right? Okay. Well, your answer is zero. Zero, 30 to 40 home runs. Right. Okay. The, only, the next hitter was Bob Allison hit 28. Wow. That is that is interesting. So it was and 60. the ERA, a guy wrote me, yep. in 60 was 4.0 something, and in 61 it was 4.06. Interesting. Yes, everybody thought because the, and, and uh, I hate to say this, but I have a gentleman in in Baltimore that could tell you everything I did, how right. many times I picked my nose, pulled my ear, <laughs> whatever. He calls me every once in a while. Yep. He sent me a list, and I wish I would have kept it. Right. Of the guys I hit home runs off of. Uh huh. And only eight were guys who did not pitch in the big leagues. The mean, year before. You mean the year before? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I know it's expansion, but I don't. I mean, L.A. had Duran, they had uh, Gerba, Kenny McBride, guys, Kenny McBride, guys, right? Yeah. So not everybody was. Uh, no, it was, there, were, there were no bums around then, and plus, yeah. plus the population was the population of baseball players was certainly big enough to withstand two teams oh, yeah. in that and game. And another thing I want to ask you, with, with the lively ball yep. nowadays yep. and the maple bats, how come 80, 80 to 85% of the home runs hit in the front row? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But you sound, you sound like you still watch quite a bit of baseball. How, how every much? once in a while, because uh, because I uh, every time you have, you watch the highlights on Major League Baseball, right. every time they take a swing, there's one out of the park. I watched the game a month ago when Boston hit eight of them in one game. Hey, Jim, before we let you go today, sure. i got to hear the story because you were such a special player to me, and there were lots of kids my age and a little older that you were special to. How did it come about? I think you were second behind Amici's, but there was a you got involved in the fast food business early on, like probably about sixty two, sixty three, yeah. with a series. I think there were three locations of Diamond Gyms, weren't yeah. there? Uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's right. So who's yeah. who who approached you? And was it the Kentucky Fried Chicken people? No, there's a gentleman. Oh God, it's been so many years. Uh, let's say his name was Joe. He had a he had a drive-in restaurant, right? And he had it where there was a train. 
he'd put the people's order that were in the booth okay. on a train and would bring your their food to their booth. Okay. So he came to me one day with a bucket of chicken and said, hey, I got a bucket of chicken. I really like to push it. Uh, right now it's just one of my items. And I had it, and I thought, great. Yeah, this is so good. we went into business and opened a restaurant out on Reistertown Road. Right. And we were the first ones to have telephones at your booth, and you call in the order, yep. and then when it's ready, it rang, and you went and got it. Well, and then we off, uh, when we opened two uh, uh, carryouts. Well, the colonel came, and he told me, he said, I want my chicken by itself. Okay. Well, Amici and Marchetti came out to the my restaurant, Reistertown Road. Right. And it... Unbeknownst to me, my partner had signed a five-year deal with uh, the colonel. Okay. And he already had used three years, so I only had two left. But he, and when the second year was up, the colonel said, I got to split it with Amici and Marchetti. So you were and, out. You were Well, they a, had so many places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they were, were all the way up to Delaware, I think they said. Uh, yep. And uh, I had no room to open up anywhere, so I just sold out to them. That's wild. And that was about, what, 63? 60, yeah, started at the end of the 63 season because I got traded to Kansas City, and I figured, well, I'm yeah, Michael, so. That's, that's fa- fascinating to go back in time with you. Uh, how important is it to you to be remembered the way I remember you and others in Baltimore? I know you get to, to see that and feel that each year when you go down to fantasy camp. Uh, how special is it, Jim? Uh, it really is because when you're playing, you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have what they have nowadays, whether on TV all the time. You don't realize it. But, but even today, I get 10, 15, 20 letters a day. I tell my wife it's because I'm 84 and they're afraid I'm going to die too quick. And they go, <laughs> if my other guy. But, and when I come back to Baltimore and do the suites, yep. you know, sign on. People treat me wonderful. I'm surprised that 40, 50 years later, they yeah. they still remember you. Still, it's, they still do. They still it, do. It's amazing, and I love it. And uh, Stan, I can't thank you enough for for all the things you said about me. Uh, that that wow. really because I never heard what people thought of me. You know, well, 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 as a kid, you were you were literally larger than life. You were handsome. You played with a great deal of passion uh, and pizzazz. You know, I mean, those stretches. Uh, but it, hearing you today talk about the practicality of the stretch, that's a lost. That's a little bit of a lost art that nobody thinks of. That is, if hey, if you reach out for the ball at first base, you gain a second there. You know? Oh yeah, you gain a step, step and a half, and especially if you got guys who can really run, you know and. Some of the guys do it when he gets to be a club. But I watch guys, and uh, even the guy, uh, Ruzzo, I really think he's an outstanding player. Yeah. But a lot of times he just, he's standing straight up and catches the ball by a half stride. I, I just don't see that. I, I make it close when you can just stretch out a little bit. You don't do the split, just put your arm out, and that's a good step and a half. Got to ask you real quick before we let you go, two players, one you one you played with for a couple of years, you really got to know how special a player was Brooks Robinson. Uh, I, I want to tell you something. If I had his personality, I'd be playing today. <laughs> Honest to God, he go for four, zero for eight, right? Get three hits, same way, good or bad. Where if I went zero for four, I sat in my locker and thought about it. 
And but he he just one of the nicest guys. Two of the guys on the team that were my dear friends were Brooks and Gus Triandis. Yep. And Brooks, thank God, Brooks is still with us. Doing, oh God! Doing I, well. Every time I come there, I call him. And uh, the last time I was there, we went out to lunch, and it was what a great time just to talk about things. You know, and I do want to ask you about this other player, but I've got to get to the get okay. to it. If you had a young hitter today that was was had the temperament that you had. Is there anything you could have been told or that you could impart on a young hitter who's going through a frustrating time to not beat themselves up, to not overthink, or is it just it's part of certain people's DNA? Well, if I could talk to someone like that, I'd say, look, you got 162 games. Yep. Good. You're going to have good days, bad days. After two or three years, you know what you're aver- what you're going to hit. Right. You know how many home runs you should hit, good or bad. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, I was too much of a perfectionist. And what uh, for seven years I was told nobody wanted me. Right. And and then I'd be told to get to the big leagues, you got to run better, throw better, hit better than the next guy. And every time you'd I had forty forty home runs in Double A, and I'd ask Buzzy. How come you don't sell? Nobody wants you. Nobody said, wants you. After yeah. hitting 40 home runs, nobody, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, so when I got here, I said to myself, I got to do the better better than anybody else, otherwise I won't be here. And uh, I guess that's why a lot of times I uh, sulked. Yep. But, but that was me. I mean, uh, I didn't hurt anybody. I've never had any trouble with nope. teammates. Nope, nope. You know, just that uh, the the, the the coaches and stuff start thinking you're more of a uh, worry about yourself than the team, they would say. And I said, well, when I'm on the field, I'm playing for the team. But when I'm finished, I'm thinking, what can I do to improve? But they they don't listen to you. So Last, last question for you. Sure. Uh, how much time did you spend as a teammate or, or, or with Sandy Koufax? Well, you know, I, I met Sandy back when he came out of college. And you don't know he uh, when he first joined uh, the Brooklyn, he couldn't keep the ball in the batting cage. That's what I heard. Yep. Oh my God! Every day, Joe Baker would take him down to the string area and throw, throw, throw. And the first couple of years or so, he was up there. They just used him as a mop up. Yep. And stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, man, he got that twelve to six curveball. Goodbye. Was he was Steve Dalkowski potentially as talented as Koufax arm wise? Well, he had the fastball. He threw harder than anybody I ever saw. Yeah, for a man his size, yep. you know. Yeah, he was. He could really throw. But again, there's a guy that didn't get a shot in the big leagues until late, and by the time he got there, his arm was gone. Yep. Yep. All right, Diamond. I'm going to get you back on sometime in a couple months. All right. Okay, and if I get back to Baltimore, I'll, I'll be sure to call you. All right. Thank you, Diamond. Really uh, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Give my best All to your right. wife Bye-bye. and family. All right. There's Diamond Jim Gentile, one of my favorites and uh, the one that got away from me. I uh, want to talk to you a little bit about, about LifeBridge. Uh, right? LifeBridge. Got to find it, though. Where is where is the old life bridge ad in the book? It's not in the book. Not in the book. 
So I'll talk about Big Bats. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar, 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back to and from the Eastern Shore, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, the Nats. That's right, the O's and the Nats. And also, during their seasons, the Wizards and the Caps. You get simply the best bar grub around. Sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. Steve Garland's place is Ken Island's original sports bar, located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. Check it out and tell them Stan the Fan sent you. I'm excited to tell you about one of our newest partners, Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. What are they all about? Well, this is very cool. You can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool. So let's just say you're like us. Maybe you're playing a World Cup pool right now. You want to keep that fun going with your friends after the World Cup is over. Maybe you do a football picks pool that you loop together and that fun continues throughout the course of the year. Start a league today. Invite your friends. Single event leagues are free. Multi-event leagues are just a flat four. $4.99 fee for the entire league, not per person, just $4.99. There's plenty of competitions that Loop League has. I mentioned the World Cup, football picks, it continues MLB playoffs, they'll be doing stuff like that. I mean, they even do UFC fights, but if you've got an idea for something that you want to do, you can tell them at Loop League on Twitter, and they'd be willing to consider it. They've got 21 events on the platform right now with more coming. This is something that was started by local guys. It's extremely cool. Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. Rory's story. Story Cubes is the original that started the Story Cube movement and inspired creativity and storytelling across the globe. And they come with every Chick-fil-A kids meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. Chick-fil-A kids meals are all around $5, including the kids' chicken strips, kids' nuggets, and kids' grilled nuggets. Text the family right now and announce that it's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square tonight. That's at 5198 Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham. Tell them that Glenn and Kyle said hi. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray at PressBoxOnline.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. In the market for a used car? Stop. Stop looking at used cars and go buy a new Mitsubishi from Jerry's. New Mitsubishis are more fuel efficient and they come with a 100,000 mile warranty. Right now at Jerry's, new Mitsubishi Mirages start from under $10,000. What? A new Mirage hatchback or sedan starting from under $10,000 plus they get 35 miles per gallon city, 41 highway. Visit Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at Jerry's Mitsubishi. Com. Price plus tax tags and freight. Sale ends July 31st. 
Stan the Fan back here on the air on the bat around. I'm just texting with a good friend of mine, uh, Steve Jeppy. Uh, and Steve, uh, I thanked him for getting me Jim Gentile's phone number because uh, without uh, that phone number, I wouldn't have had Diamond Jim on the show. And he says he's my favorite Oriole of all time. And I said, I think he was mine too. Joining me now is my favorite sports business consultant and uh, all around smartest guy in the room, Andy Dolich on the left coast. Uh, how are you, Andy Dolich? I'm great, Stan. I just think that's an oxymoron. My favorite sports marketing consultant. Yep. I'm going to use that. All right, good. You you should put that on your business card, say your favorite. So when you hand it to somebody, it'll be saying, I'm your favorite uh, sports yeah, Hey, listening to Jim Gentile talk about Sandy Koufax, who's my number one sports hero, and thinking, you know, he was also a great basketball player, which a lot played, of people I don't think know about. Played at the and University I, of Cincinnati, right? That's right. I think Ed Jucker was the coach then. And you, I think Sandy played one year for the Bearcats baseball team. Can you imagine yeah. some kid coming out of Ohio going, oh, who's that pitcher on the mound? And Jim was talking about how wild he was before. Uh, he found the yacker and life changed for a lot of people. You know, it's interesting, the late Joe Durham, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, he was an early, one of the early African-Americans to play in the big leagues. He recounted stories in the batting cage where the the manager, Paul Richards, and whoever was equivalent to the batting coach, and that was fascinating to hear from Gentile that there weren't any batting coaches back then, uh, but they tied him up with rope and yanked the rope on him like he was an animal of some kind to be teaching him how to stride. And I remember Joe Dorham telling that story. Pretty, you know, crazy. Absolutely. Well, just think that rope should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, but, you know, I've seen some exercises done with strides in yep. a lot of sports. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't hear that one. But, I mean, in terms of quality class, low-key guy, um, sort of, he's, he's sort of like my Jerry West, you know, still as cool today as he was, you know, when he was 26 and four or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're in fact, your Twitter handle is at Kufish, right? Co, it's Co funny, Stan, how everybody gets it wrong. Yeah, it's Kufax, like, that's, right. that's right, that's right, Kufax. They always go, what's a Kufish? <laughs> and I go, um, no, Kofix. it's a combination of my favorite player of all time, right. Sandy Kufax, right. and what I like to do when I'm not working or doing anything else, and that's fish all around, so Kufish, that's it. Now, do you actually like to go fishing? Oh yeah, have you not seen No, photos I did not know. I did not know that. World? What kind of fishing oh, What kind of fishing do you like to do? I like to be as far offshore as you can possibly be. I will send you some stuff when we're done with the interview. You can post it on up. All right. Um, I just got back a few weeks ago from Venice, Louisiana. And most people go, I thought Venice was in California yeah. or in Italy. Right. So Venice, Louisiana, for all those people that are tuning in to go, I don't want to hear about a fishing report. I want to talk about sports. 
Just a quick one. Venice is where all the oil companies, natural gas companies are. Yep. And it's at the tip, the tip of Louisiana, and you go anywhere from 30 to 70 miles out um, because all of these um, rigs are, are literally islands that attract fish. <laughs> and those fish attract bigger fish. So we were fishing for yellowfin tuna, wahoo, um, marlin, and uh, swordfish. It was not a great trip, but I'll yep. send you some pictures of some fish that people think were plastic blow-ups. Who's the, who's the most famous sports figure you ever fished with? Uh, Dusty Baker. Okay. D- Dusty is a fanatical fisherman here, and he's got he got a great life. He's you know he's a special uh, assignment coach for the Giants. But Dusty's son, uh, Darren, remember that famous picture when he was out there and Bonds the pe- yep. lifted him up. Yep. There was a that play at home plate at, at the ballpark. So Dusty's son plays for Cal Berkeley, pretty good player, uh, baseball. And uh, Dusty fishes wherever he can. I mean, the guy that I probably would have liked to fish with is the great Stan Williams, who was a fanatic. Stan Williams. Uh, uh, Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Stan Williams. Ted Williams. It's my Dodgers. I got Dodgers on the brain. Now, it's it's interesting because that was the one th- way I was going to end the fishing thing is Boog Powell's a very good friend of mine. Boog Powell fished with Ted Williams one time said it was the most unpleasant experience that he ever had because he was such a perfectionist. He yep. wouldn't let you just have fun fishing the way you like to fish. He was telling you how to do things and how, you know. Um, but but what's fascinating to me about reading about Williams and his love and passion for fishing was the eye-hand coordination necessary to fish. Was It was interesting. His eyesight was so fantastic. And that's one yeah, of the he reasons was, he, was, he was a fly fisherman, yep. and I'm not into fly fishing. Uh, actually, William sounds like my brother, my older brother, who taught me how to fish. You, you know, would not have liked. You would not have yeah. liked to fish with Ted Williams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, but I would want to see an expert doing he, what he does. And fly fishing literally is all about eye hand coordination. Uh, you know what I do is not quite as sophisticated. Um, so what is fly, so, what is the term fly fly fishing? Is what exactly? So you're basically fishing with um, you know a, a different type of rod. Okay. Um, and you're fishing. The bait is not bait. It's basically artificial flies that okay. basically equal what the trout or salmon um, are eating on the top of the surface of the water. So literally, if I'm using a bait fishing 50 miles in the ocean, it's a bigger fish than what Ted Williams is catching. Okay. And a fly could be, you know, half an inch or an inch long, and it's all about the placement. If you're fishing in the ocean, you're just trolling around or casting it in a much larger area. Fly fishermen are way more sophisticated. So they are than, they are they are enticing the fish to grab their fly. Exactly. Okay, which I got sounds, you. also sounds a Yeah, bit it sounds weird, sounds yeah. a little weird. There's no question about it. Hey, <laughs> let's move back into sports for a second. Not that fishing isn't a sport. You wrote a piece for Sports Business Journal and you sent it to me uh, and I I remembered about two and a half months ago I asked you to be on the show one week 
and you said you couldn't be because you were going to this memorial service for right. an old friend of yours, Makio Matsubayashi, who was the sports video board pioneer who basically was the father of Diamond Vision, correct? Correct. Anybody that's at a sporting event, indoor and outdoor, and watching Kiss Cam or seeing a replay or loving the stuff that they're seeing, um, it was Mikio Matsubayashi who, in the late set, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties, uh, working for Mitsubishi from Japan, that basically saw the future, did the first board at Dodger Stadium in nineteen eighty. And as they say, the rest is history. I think there's something like 35,000 boards up in venues, both pro and college. There's lots of competition. But I was lucky enough to meet Mikio early on because we wanted one of those boards at the Oakland Coliseum when we were building the A's into a contender. And I did, uh, we did a, a portable board actually until we had the money and the sponsorship to put in a permanent board. But it's one of those stories, Stan, that people really don't know about. And I don't know if they, you know, when they're at a ball game, yeah, look at the video board and just, all the advancements that have taken place and go, I wonder who started that. Right. Well, it's, it's just Mikio a piece of the furniture. It's just a piece of the furniture now. You you use exactly. the you use the word there is really interesting. You said we had a, a, a like a mobile board until we could get the sponsorship dollars. How much different would sports be today? Had the boards look? They're, they're, they've been around for thirty five years now, or thirty plus years. How different though would sports be? The the dollar figures that we'd be talking about without the ancillary revenue that they've helped bring into sports. Well, one of the uh, radio guys out here, Gary Radnich at KNBR, when I'm on with him, always introduces me. You know, here's the, one of the guys that brought entertainment to the ballpark. <laughs> well, you know, that isn't necessarily true. I love it. But Bill Vec and many, many others uh, basically started doing that. Minor League Baseball, as you know, is the leader in trying uh, new marketing programs. But the part about the video board and what I've seen over the years, it is an immersive type of entertainment and people of all ages, whether you're coming to the game with your three-year-old or it's grandma and grandpa, you know, on kiss cam, everybody loves it. You know, it's not a debate like I hate that or I don't want to drink beer or no, I don't want the $20 crab sandwich. But when something is on the video board, um, it's spectacular, and when we think about our live stand, it was really one of the first options of replay, replay, replay. Now we've mm -hmm. got a digital world that everybody is looking down with their earbuds on, about to be hit in a crosswalk by an 18-wheeler, and what are they doing? They're replaying some inane Instagram or YouTube video, right. and really, when you think about it, it all started at the ballpark. It's really, I hadn't put it in that perspective. It's really true. I remember coming out to, to visit David Rubenstein, and now if I came out there, I'd probably st stay with you for free. But uh, Well, I've got, a bad, I've got a bad coincidence tomorrow. You're seeing Ruby uh, Q? I am taking David 
to the Bay Bridge series at AT&T Park. Oh, that's um, great. That's great. Yes. So if you tune into the game and you see a fan being ejected, Sam, it'll probably you'll be know done. which fan that is, right? All right. Uh, but I remember watching, finding it fascinating. Your board was the first. You had dot races, correct? That is absolutely correct, which we got a lot of credit for bringing to the majors. Yep. What did we do? I stole it from the minors. <laughs> Did they have the board to have it, though, at the minor league level uh, at that time? No, no, they didn't. But, you know, they they basically were the precursors of what you see of the running presidents and the bratwurst yep. and all the other wacky characters. Uh, but we, you know, we were so advanced when you think about it now in terms of all the magnificent videos and uh, virtual reality and augmented reality and what they're doing on boards, but we had a red, uh, green, and yeah, red, green, and like yellow dot. Yep. And basically had dots racing around on the video board, and people went crazy. And, you know, I think about it when we're talking. I also debuted Pong at the Capitol Center wow. in D.C., and people and I, we put controllers at either end. This was when I was with the Capitals. Then we put controllers at either end and gave them to two kids, and they played pong between the periods. It was better than watching the Zambonis clean the ice. That's that's bizarre. <laughs> that's bizarre. It's interesting though. In Baltimore now, I mean, this is thirty, it's probably thirty-five years, thirty-seven years, and I still remember the dot races about fifteen years ago in Baltimore. SK, the hot dog company kind of yep. purchased the sponsorship and they have ketchup, relish, and mustard races, which is the same thing, only there's big time dollars attached to it now. The great Bill King, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, we were very lucky to have Bill and Lon Simmons. And I had a great, great relationship with Bill, who was, you know, an ultimate Renaissance man, sort of like the current great John Miller, uh, you know, who can talk about anything. But Bill, anytime dot racing or any other promotion that I did, yeah. you know, Bill would refer to me as spawn of the devil, man that's destroying <laughs> baseball. Well, it's it's interesting because what he did was he made the he made the freak freakish activity the marketing, but he didn't attach the marketing was simply getting people to the park. Now what you you guys do or have done for thirty plus years is figure out how to monetize once the people are at the park. And if you look at sports now, that's the next step is you and I've talked about this isn't just having stadiums. It's having like little communities where you can monetize having the people come to the park and be in your community. Now. I totally agree with that. But one of the negative parts of ticket pricing, which is stratospheric as the fans know, yeah is that whether it was the Colts or the O's or the Bullets or the Wizards or the Nats, um, a while ago, um, those little neighborhoods in the park, yep. people would know them. You know, They grew up together in the park, mm -hmm. not necessarily that they lived next door to each other in their neighborhood. And now, with secondary ticketing and all the stuff that's happening computer-wise, you turn to the right and the left, and you don't know who the people are. 
And in some instances, they bought their tickets for a lower dollar figure, and they're not exactly acting like fully grown adults. And you're there with your three kids. It's changed the environment, which I think is a negative that mm-hmm. doesn't get talked enough about. Uh, yeah, you have a larger audience of you know twenty or thirty or forty thousand in a ballpark in a venue, but that sense of community that you might have had in sections D or one thirty two is pretty much going away. We're talking with Andy Dolich, sports consultant extraordinary. He's worked in all four major sports, and he's a consultant uh, even to this day. Andy, the other day I received, I've been a PSL holder and season ticket holder for the Baltimore Ravens since they arrived in Baltimore in 1996. The first preseason game that I will be able to attend is probably about August 9th or 10th, somewhere around there. So now it's July 10th. I get a box in the mail just the other day, and I open it up, and I go, oh, this is a really nice box, and it's got the Ravens logo in it, and I open it up, and I go, oh, here's schedule, and here's two, two like, credit cards or whatever, a couple lanyards, and I'm fumbling, and I pick up the box, and I shake it. There's no tickets. Um First of all, what do you think about a team that sends out the tick the the ticketless ticket package, but doesn't tell you up front about it, makes no public announcement about it? Is that the right way to handle that? Absolutely not. Yeah. And you've identified one of the areas. Again, I understand progress. Yeah. I, I'm working in the worlds of virtual reality and artificial intelligence, which unfortunately I think we have more of today than ever before, and it's not all that intelligent. Right. Um, but doing away with the actual ticket, I'm a ticket freak. Yep. I've got an incredible collection of tickets for from 45 years. And now, you know, it's all digital. People coming to the park don't think about it. When you're waiting behind somebody at the airport or at your favorite coffee place and their you know phone isn't working correctly with their hashtag, right. I mean, I literally want to take a baseball bat and beat them to within an inch of their life. <laughs> you know, here's cash. I'll buy your coffee. Now right. get out of line. Right. Um, so the ticket is another sort of historical document Um, you know, it's going to be my retirement income. I'll just sell all my tickets, you know, from years and years ago, but not to tell you that they're doing it is another example of really poor strategy. Some tactician from, you know, with his master said, Hey, it'll be cool. And we'll send some useless crap in a box. Yeah. And it's a really fancy, it's a really cool box that I'll throw away pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, thank you. And you're also paying. 190% 190% more for those tickets that, than you paid 10 years ago for you to get this real spiffy box with a lanyard uh, that's totally useless because you don't have a goddamn ticket. So let me ask you a question. What would, If you were sort of advising a team that was going ticketless, uh, and again, you might say, somebody might say, a 25-year-old might say to me, a 66-year-old, oh, come on, relax, you got a month but it would have really been nice for me to know, like in June, that, hey, a press release comes out. Ravens are going ticketless. Go to this link and watch how you, you use your, your new ticketless entry or something like that. 
Right. I would have also given you the option or anybody else. And this isn't just an age divide, but that's an easy Mm -hmm. sort of default mechanism. And I'd say, Stan, you've been a fan since X. I want to know what you've done. We should know your favorite players. And here, if you just email us or send this card back, you know, we're going to print your tickets for you. Yeah. Uh, they might not necessarily be used at a game, although you could, but we're going to give you the tickets because yeah. the amount of money that people, the teams are spending on printing tickets in terms of saving that money, it literally is mouse meat. And I think it's an affront when you don't even give people the opportunity to have a ticket, which was, which was part of the ballpark experience. What would you say, though, if they said that we spend what's really sounds like one of the culprits here is the ability to print your tickets yourself? You know, uh, they say that the counterfeit issue is such a gigantic issue now that they actually have to have a lot of extra help on game days to sort through when there's problems arise with counterfeiting uh, printed tickets. Well, as we know, the Russians are behind this, <laughs> clearly. And, you know, Putin has been a big uh, sports fan for many years, right. which everybody knows about. I, I think it's laughable. You know, uh, is there ticket scalping? Yeah, when Murray's tickets was doing it, you know, 35 years ago, spuddy, need to. Um, now, with um, the technology that exists, um, UPC codes and all of that, you can get beyond that. It's just another one of those sort of brainless, we're going into the modern age of analytics and metrics in every way you yep. can. And if I were working for a team, of course you want to be the most technologically advanced. But I think it's also important to hold on to what made the experience great. It's just like the ongoing debate Let's make baseball quicker. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just play three innings and, and stop kidding ourselves? Well, you know, some of the stuff is just so patently ridiculous to make you laugh. If people have been loving this game for, you know, a hundred plus years, yes, there have to be some changes. You know, I'm a big advocate of banning Velcro so you don't see a guy spending 45 seconds retightening the gloves that he tightened before he got into the batter's box. Andy Dolich has uh, been our guest. Andy, we, we hardly talk baseball this time around, but always a pleasure to talk to you. I learn something every time. Here's what I learned today. Listen to Diamond Jim Gentile talking about, you know, his time in the minors and number of at-bats. And I was thinking, you know, his mentality of just go up there, keep doing it. It'll pay off for you. We live about 30,000 days, right, if we live into our 80s. Are we going to have some bad days, Stan? Yeah. You and I have both experienced some bad days. But for 30,000 of them, you know, make 29,000 of them really great. So for anybody that's listening in to you, Stan, uh, enjoy the day. Thank you, my friend, my fishing friend. I'll talk to you later, Cofish. You got it. Bye. All right. He's out. Andy Dolich, one of the smartest guys in the room. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of his path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations. 
including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray, at PressBoxOnline.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit give to goodwill.org. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Second 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcast around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts the latest edition of press box is available now and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. ESPN Television, by the way, is the place right now. Uh, Miss Kerber, the German, uh, won the first set over Serena Williams 6-3, and she's leading the second set 2-1, Serena Williams serving. So they're in the second set of their championship match. Anderson will face Djokovic tomorrow morning, breakfast at Wimbledon, which will also coincide 
with uh, 1030 Inside Press Box on Channel 2, WMAR-TV, and then uh, at 11 o'clock, the World Cup final at uh, 11 on Fox. Okay? Uh, Jerry Krasnick uh, this morning at 820 tweeted out that the Phillies and Braves are jockeying for first in National League East but taking different approaches with Machado. Some hashtag Orioles people think Atlanta could assemble the best package of minor league talent for Manny, but the Braves are strictly on the fringes, more focused on pitching. But I will tell you that with uh, time uh, getting narrower, this is the first I'm hearing that the Braves are, are at all involved with Machado. So in the past five days, six days, we've heard that the Yankees are interested, Red Sox have some interest, along with the Atlanta Braves. If I were a betting man for a lot of reasons, I think the team's past relationship with Andy McPhail and Matt Klintick and the fact that they may feel that they really not only want to acquire Machado for the short term, but want to have him sort of size himself up in a Phillies uniform and get used to being a Philadelphia Philly, I have a feeling the Phillies are going to lead the, are, are going to win the day uh, with Machado. Rich Dubroff and I both believe that um, uh, Machado will not play a game for the Orioles after Sunday. He'll play in an Oriole uniform on Tuesday at the All-Star game, but we think sometime on Wednesday or Thursday that deal gets done with the Orioles and one of the many, many suitors they have for Manny Machado. Listen, a great thank you today to Rich Dubroff, to Mike Farron. Again, he's doing the play-by-play on Sirius XM tomorrow at 4 p.m. of the Futures game from Nats Park. Uh, world team plays Team USA, and the Orioles have one prospect on each team. Alex Wells, left-handed pitcher, will pitch for world team because he's Australian-born. And um, and what's his name? I can't think of his name. The uh, Oh, God. The Orioles' uh, uh, Mountcastle, Ryan Mountcastle, the Orioles' third base prospect, who's playing at Bowie this year, will play um, for Team USA. All right, we also thank the great Diamond Jim Gentile and Andy Dolich. Uh, as always, thanks to Brittany Everett. That's, uh, that's it for us here on the show. Uh, have a great week ahead. Don't forget to listen to Ken Zalas tomorrow morning with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'll be here with Kyle Ottenheimer uh, hosting the Glenn Clark Radio Show. That's it for today.